Well, it's been uh, fun this week. It's been uh, a lot of interesting things to see and challenges and uh, some victories in seeing the Lord working in our in our community. Uh, again, this is as uh, was brought to our attention. This was uh, much of which was follow up of Spring Fling and some of the work we've been doing in the community. Um, I, I love the fact that we've had over half of them, or about half of them, were from uh, not from our church. And usually, the, the deal is they're they're from other churches, and so they're you're just kind of trading. But this year, I think uh, Central and Bethlehem, uh, maybe another church or so, we're we're doing all the same week, and I I count that as a good thing uh, because it, it, we're not swapping out kids. Uh, we're we're focusing on folks who need to hear. About John fourteen six, and so it's just been a wonderful time of missions uh, work uh, in our area. We're going to keep on doing that. We've got some follow up to do with Vacation Bible School now. Uh, I certainly encourage you to be part of your small group and uh, and help out with that. As we'll be giving uh, those assignments out uh, through our social classes and following up with folks that have been coming. Want to get them in our small groups and to be teaching them about the gospel. Uh, so. Uh, that's, uh, that's to come, but we just thank God for, for this past week. It, it's been a, a blessing. Um, it's been a lot of challenges, uh, in it. Uh, I, I, and I just want to let you know, uh, you know, we're going to have a, an offering in just a little while. I, I should have said this before. We're going to have a separate offering for those, uh, who will be going over to Egypt, uh, doing a work there, just in seeking the Lord's direction and, uh, working and identifying a people group in that area and how we can connect with them. Uh, so we'll be having that offering at the end of our time together. Uh, and so I, I just love the fact that when I serve with Green Pines, I, I serve here as we all serve here as believers. But we also serve in other places around the world as God opens those doors to us. It's not something that we're trying to find but it's coming to us, and, and I just praise God that, that we can serve together in that way. Um, this this message this morning, it, we're we're going to go and continue our study in Galatians chapter five, verse uh, nineteen. Uh, I had hoped originally that we're going to go through twenty six, but as I studied this passage, uh, my heart just became so burdened, um, and, and is still very much burdened. Um, and I probably will really only be able to get to verse 21 um, and, and maybe glean some things from the last part of our passage together. Um, I, I'm going to pray that the Lord, and have been praying, the Lord will speak through this, speak to your heart. Um, it, the Word of God has spoken to my heart. Uh, there have been a couple of times, several times as I'm studying this, I just had to stop studying and just go and get on my knees. Say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I shared with you before, uh, maybe two Sundays ago, about our attitude towards sin. That when we live out of grace, our attitude now, when we're convicted of sin, is no longer, God, I've messed up. I'm so frustrated that I keep messing up in the same sin. That's not the thrust of our frustration anymore. And and there have been times in my life when that honestly has been the bulk of my frustration. Is God, I've done it again. I'm so tired of messing up. 
that focus is very pride-centered. It's very self-righteous centered. It's about, God, I can do better. I must do better. I'm so disappointed in myself. Rather, it's, God, I have grieved you. I have hurt you. And the focus now is more on the injury done to the one who loves us so dearly. But I think that most believers many times are in the former view of being frustrated with themselves. That it's not so concerned with God. So concerned with the injury given to Him. Because honestly, our life isn't about loving Him. It's about loving ourselves and looking right. Looking the part of being a Christian. And so I come to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, and, and he is, Paul is changing his focus. He's talked more in the previous part about being saved, that it's done by the grace of God, and that we don't enter into this walk with the Lord by our works and by righteousness, by being in that day and time. The situation he's dealing with was, was being justified as a Jew or, or performing the cir- circumcision, the ceremonial laws, and, and completing what they said, completing their salvation by being a Jew. And so he's saying, no, it's not about that. It's about being saved by the grace of God. And our day and time, we we may trade things and say, well, okay, everyone knows now it's not circumcision, but maybe it's baptism, maybe it's church membership, maybe it's looking like the rest of the church members look like, uh, dressing like them, acting like them, and making sure we do our part. Uh, That makes us right with God. And, and Paul is saying, no, you can have a good day, but it's still just as racked with sin, and is, and our righteousness is not filthy, is as filthy racks. In other words, you can have a good day, you can have your quiet time in the morning, you get up on time, and, and you don't bark at anybody as you're walking out the door, and you don't bark at people as you're driving down the road, and you come into work with a smile on your face, and you're praying all along the way, and you do all the right things, and, and you don't mess up too bad at, at work, and, and you, and you come home, and, and you, and you go through the traffic, and you're still not barking at anybody. In fact, maybe you're singing. You know you're singing, and you're praying, and you come home, and, and uh, you have a pleasant face around your, your, uh, your, your spouse or your family, or maybe you've been at home all day, and you've been dealing with their mess, the, the mess of the children, and, and you've maintained peace. And, and you know you could have a good day. And you think, at the end of the day, you pray, and say, God, you're going to hear my prayer, because I've had a good day. Or maybe you've had an opportunity to share the gospel and you think, I, I can share the gospel with someone because I've had a good day. It doesn't work that way. Because the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags that even when we're at our best, it still needs God's grace. Or you could go vice versa and you wake up grumpy and you go through the day grumpy and you're barking at folks and folks are saying, stay away from that person. And you still need the grace of God so that when you pray, guess why? God's going to hear your prayer. It's by the grace of God that you're walking with Him anyway. 
So I never leave the realm of God's grace. And so that's how I enter in in salvation. Now Paul is in chapter 5 talking about how we live, how we grow with this grace of God. How do we grow with the Spirit of God in our life? And so he says that if you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. And we talked about what flesh means here. Paul's not talking about just in the body. But the flesh is now referring to that, that ego of self-reliance that we have in our life. That part of us that does not yield to any authority or depend on any type of mercy that craves the sensation of self-generated power and loves the praise of men. And, and by the way, this can be religion. It can be religion. I'm afraid that much of sometimes what we might see in church is just religion, just the flesh in stained glass, just the flesh uh, looking like a Christian and that we do the right things to feel good about ourselves and to get the praise of mankind. Uh, it, it can come out in legalism by keeping the rules and its own power for its own glory. Or it can go into grossly immoral attitudes to say that I'm going to find satisfaction of self-generated uh, ways. I'm going to uh, forsake God's direction and go into sexual immorality. I'm going to go into idolatry, sorcery, all kinds of different things in which I will satisfy myself. So, he goes to verse 19 and says, let me spell this out a little bit. And he talks about the works of the flesh. Then he contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I, I really think I, we're going to spend most of the time with verse 19 through 21. and um, I, I don't have any nice points to give you just to say, let's look at the works of the flesh. Um, you know, we, we have a cat, two cat, two kittens. I have been, ever since we've had children... Um, against cats in our home. Um, and my compromise is they're not in our home most of the time. <laughs> we, we keep outside cats. And I, I know some of you just think that's terrible. Um, I understand. You may disagree with me, but just pretend like you agree with me for the point of this illustration, all right? Um, one of the reasons I don't like cats in the house is because they create dirt. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm doing pretty good on my own in that area. Don't need help. And now we've got four kids and they're just, you know, dirt comes. And I don't see the, the point of having two kittens to help in that. Uh, and, and so we keep them outside and, um, and, and they do produce dirt. And they just kind of went over and beyond this past week. Um, there's something on our deck, and I don't know what it is. It was just nasty. I, and, and I, it stunk. I mean, it smelled up the deck, you know? And I'm just thinking, that looks gross, it smells gross, it must be gross, and it's from the cats. Alright, that's all you need to know, it's from the cats, it, it's, it's gross. And, and, and what was so bad about this is that it, it stayed there for more than 30 minutes, which was bad enough, it stayed there days. And every day I'm saying to the girls, those are your cats. Take care of this. This is nasty. This is gross. I, I don't want to touch this. You brought the cat in. You take care of the cat. All right. And, and so when I saw that, it just proved the point to me. Cats are dirty. See, look. <laughs> it's nasty. Okay. 
let's not keep them in the house. When I see this listing in Galatians 5 verse 19, I, I, I get the sense that God is saying, when it flows out from yourself, it's gross. It's disgusting. It is something that I don't want to have any part of. See? Look at what it causes. I didn't want to dissect that substance on our deck. But here you have verse 19, 20, 21, and it's as if it's being dissected. This is what flows out of your heart. So, take a deep breath. Let's go to verse 19. I'm going to pray that God uses this to speak to our hearts. Now, the works, plural, of the flesh are evident. Now, why, why is this the word works? And I think it's fascinating. He says works here, but in contrasting this, he doesn't say the works of the Spirit. He says fruit of the Spirit. And I think there's a very important reason. Because when he says fruit of the Spirit, it's evident. It's not of our own doing. Okay, when we go to the, the passage of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, I, I learn that's not my doing. It is the doing of the Spirit of God in my life. It is His fruit. Alright? And consequently, the solution is not how can I focus on love, how can I focus on joy, how can I learn peace, how can I learn patience, how can I learn goodness, self-control, how can I do these things? No, the focus is Go to the Spirit because these things belong to the Spirit. Dressed in Him, trust in Him, yield in Him. That's the focus. And I think there's something very significant about the words used here. Works of the flesh versus Spirit. But you think, well, works of the flesh, you know, it talks about strife, jealousy. It's not hard for me to be jealous. How does this really work? It kind of flows out of me. How does this really work? And I think the idea here is that this flesh is our attempts of validating ourselves before God. It is our work to validate who we are before God and before everyone else. And if we've got the mindset that I've got to prove myself and I've got to do this before someone else so that God will think more of me, so that I will think of more of me, that my peers in church, my peers in the workplace will think more of me, if that is my goal in life, then these things are works. And God is saying through Paul, okay, if you've got that mentality that you've got to do more, be more, to be right with God and think more of yourself, then just know this is what's going to come from that. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, be all you can be. Do the best that you can. I mean, who wants to be a bad father, a bad husband, a bad wife, a bad uh, mother? Who wants to be a bad child? Who wants to be a bad worker? So we want to be good. Who wants to be a bad child of God? But the thing is, we are helpless in getting approval but by God. And I think that's something maybe we're not clicking in yet. So, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. The word literally is pornea, where, of course, the word is recognized in today's society. It is a general reference of anything outside of God's direction for the purpose 
of sex of which God himself made, but when outside of that, of his designs, it is in a very general way uh, referring to finding your identity, finding your joy, finding your delight in God's creation, sexual activity versus God. All right? When we try to find our identity, our joy, our delights out of this, it takes you down this road of a general sense of sexual immorality. What's so sad is that so much of this is done in the name of love. After all, we love each other, right? I love you, baby. It's okay. We looked at love that it's really about putting the needs of someone else above your own. Impurity or uncleanness speaks of the defilement of sexual sin and the separation from God that it brings. It has to do with your heart. I think it's fascinating, 1 John 1, 9, when it says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness or impurity. There is the act, but before there is the act, there is the thought in our heart that makes us impure before God. Jesus, in describing this, says, you know, it's not what someone puts into their body, but what flows out of their heart that defiles a person. And so it's not... It's the words being said that reflects the heart. It's what's coming out of us. We are born with a heart that flows toward disobedience to God, rejection of God's principles, and especially in regards to sexual activity, and it creates an impurity in our heart. Sensuality, or debauchery, some translations might say that, debauchery. Again, all three of these being similar. Uh, but debauchery has a sense of no shame. It is a, a love of sin so reckless, so audacious, that a man has ceased to care what, of what God or mankind thinks about their actions. It is a sense of a total loss of limits, a lack of restraint, a lack of decency, a lack of self-respect even. And that's the thing that when you go down this road of sexual immorality, of impurity, it doesn't just say, okay, well, that's enough. Let's, let's draw limits. It has a way of pushing in our heart, pushing in our, in our brain, so that there comes to a point in time where you just no longer care about what anybody thinks, about what God thinks, and then you get mad if someone is offended about it. You get mad when you hear someone talking like I'm talking and saying that God sees these things and He does not blink. He does not close His eyes. He sees this and is aware and His heart is breaking over this. So though you may have gone to a state of debauchery, God has not. It does not... Stay tame in its little corner, but it pushes you. So that when you see folks who have, in a very public fashion, entered into sexual sin, that it has this sense of, of saying, look, you've just seen the tip of the iceberg. There's been stuff going on long before beneath the surface. Beneath the surface. And you've just seen the tip. Jeremiah 6.15 God is talking through this prophet. He's saying, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. 
They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. That's the sense of your flesh speaking. When it's about you, it'll take you to a place where you stop blushing. You just stop blushing. What's the danger of living for yourself? It creates stench before God. Idolatry, verse 20. Again, a more general sense of putting something, creation, above God. In sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, it is putting the sexual activity above God. And you say, I will no longer get my joy and delight out of God in my relationship with Him. I now have to have these other things. And it takes you to a place where you're no longer ashamed. And now idolatry is speaking not just of that of the sexual activity, but in general, when you take creation and lift it above God and that you worship this more than God Himself. Uh, it has the idea of the ancient fertility cult of Baal, which involves sacral prostitution, as the, the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth, which was going on in Paul's day, again involving the sexual activity. It, it's, it's paying homage to these, these created things. The abuse, interesting enough, when you see these listings, you often have idolatry linked in with sexual immorality. The abuse of the gift of sex inevitably leads to the elevation of the creature to the level of the creator. Interesting. One person and their translation described it this way. It is worshiping gadgets. <laughs> I read that and I, I, I staggered. I, I had to take a breath. Do we worship gadgets? Do you get your joy and delight out of gadgets? Joy and delight flows from the Lord. And if you thank God for those gadgets, and understand that any kind of sense of satisfaction that you get from a gadget might be a little bit dangerous if you're thinking this way and saying, understand, it's just a tool. It's just a tool. As I use my iPad. (laughs) Okay? You get what I'm saying? This is something where we have to be careful. Worshiping gadgets. It can be idolatry. Sorcery. Everything, okay, I'm safe here. You know, I don't have my pentagram anywhere. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not killing goats. I'm not doing sacrifices to Satan. Let me just share with you what the word is in Greek. Pharmakeia. Pharmakeia. Does that sound familiar? Pharmacy. It's the word Drugs. It's the word for drugs. In the classical Greek, it referred to the use of drugs for medicinal or even more sinister purposes, as in poisoning someone else or in abortion, which was the prevalent form of abortion in that day and time. Uh, in the New Testament idea, um, 
it is associated with the occult practices. You see this again in Revelation 18.23. The light of the lamp will shine on you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. So it conveys the demonic control. But don't be thinking, okay, I'm good there. Because it also has the idea of basic drug use. Used for sinister purposes. Someone said, what's the problem with the use of marijuana? After all, it's a plant. Well, so is the castor bean, for which you could kill yourself. Just because it's made by God doesn't mean that I should start digesting everything that grows out of the ground. You won't live long doing that. God's given you common sense. <laughs> what's so wrong about using that? You know? But you have here this idea that when you get your delight... Your joy, if your identity is based on the fact that you use this drug, you're going to find that it works like many other things of creation that you've given undue worth toward. And it stinks. It stinks before God. Enmity. So now he's talking a little bit more relational. Again, introducing it with a general terminology. Hatred, um, opposite of love. And then we're going to find that it takes many various expressions. Here's a few. Strife or discord. It's, it's a New Testament word unique to Paul. Um, we see this even in Philippians 1.15. He talks about those who are preaching out of strife. And the good news is that God can even use our sin, use our strife. And, and God did it there with the Philippian church. But strife is the idea that when we are not walking in the Spirit, we start getting into petty bickering and pride. Petty petty bickering and pride when someone's always nipping at someone else so that they will feel better about themselves because they're not I've made evident that they're not nearly as good as me because look at all their things they're doing and not doing and, and nitpicking here and there. Strife. And jealousy. This is referring simply to someone who wants what other people have. Leads to bitterness. Sometimes even violence. The root is ingratitude to God. Jealousy. To know that someone's got something and I don't have it. And that explains why I'm so miserable in my life. And if I could just have that, then my life will be so much better if I could just have that child, could have that spouse, if I could have that job, if I could have that car. And now I don't have content in my life. And if I could just have that thing, then life will have its joy. My life will be delightful. What about Christ. When Jesus says, eternal life is this, that we may know God. Has God become so cheap? Has He become so dissatisfactory? But now you have to have someone else's car? Someone else's job? Someone else's bank account? Someone else's friend? 
fits of anger. Passionate outbursts of anger. Hostile feeling. The tendency that we have is we excuse it away. It's just my Irish temper. I'm red-haired. I have a, a short fuse. I fly off the handle. It's just who I am. It's what I do. Let me apologize in advance. Because it's going to come up. Because I know about it and apologize in advance, it's genetically part of my disposition. Oh well, deal with it when it flies in your face. God sees it and says, it flows out of yourself. It flows out of your ego. It flows out of your desire to make sure that everything goes exactly as you plan. And if one thing doesn't happen according to your plan, then let me just fly in my face and get all red-faced and just let it all out so you'll know and that you'll cow in my presence and I can get my way. Who taught you how to do that? No one did, did they? I've got plenty of two-year-olds and three-year-olds that show you the same thing. It just reveals that you are in control and God is not. You are in control and God is not. Rivalries. This has the idea of, of selfish ambition. It derives from office seeking. It's, it's about self-promoting. It's about climbing the ladder. It's certainly not about seeking to serve. How can I climb the social status among my friends? I will go to church I will be active. I will look the part. I will act the part so that they will see me as respectable and I will climb the ladder. Or at office, it may be different behaviors. Okay? Your friends, it's different behaviors, but the same spirit is there. And so that's why it's so deadly in church because they take good things and make it wrong things. Climbing the ladder. Everybody see me the right way? I want to make sure I'm seen right. Dissensions. Romans 16, 17, the same word. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Dissensions. It has the idea of creating a cultural of the exclusive elite. You think that happens in church? Do you think it happens in this church? Yes, it happens in this church where we try to create the culture of the exclusive elite. And then we'll see that and we'll reject against that and create our own group which in turn will spawn another group. I pray that our small groups are not starting out of such things. 
When we start using words like they in a church, you know what they did? you believe what they did? I don't know about them. The ubiquitous they. You don't know who they are. Sometimes I've used it. <laughs> well, they are the church. Usually, they, when people in church say they, they, I can't help but think they're talking about me. You know? When we start using they, it implies dissension. If it's not implied, you're promoting dissension. We, the church, are you a part of the body of Christ? Are you part of this body or not? It's convenient to isolate yourself and say, look at all of them and their problems. It's a lot easier to do that. But we have problems. We have a great Savior. We have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of Christ working in us. And let us use we. It's the church. It is not they. And when we start referring to seniors and say they don't get it, or when the seniors start saying to the young and say they aren't reverent, they don't get it, or when we say to one central class they don't get it, it is dissension. It is a work of the flesh. And what's so dangerous is that we pretend like we're a part of the Spirit of Christ and that we're filled in the Spirit and that we're righteous in this. We are not righteous in this. We are being unrighteous. Leads to the fracturing of the church. Interesting, in this passage... Look at verse 15. He's talking about the backbiting, the, the devouring of one another, the bad-mouthing, the mutual destruction that they're having with one another. We see this as we're in our own passage, as we're looking. Verse 26, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I believe that Paul is not trying to bring an exhaustive list of all the bad things because there's quite a few things that he's missed. Lying, you know, gossip. There's a, he's not doing an exhaustive list. He says at the end, and the like. I think that he's bringing out things that is hitting there, right there in the church of Galatians. He says, these are the things that I'm seeing, that I'm hearing. Let me just say, these are the works of the flesh. I believe that these are things that God's providentially brought to us at this time, at this place. And, and I've tried very carefully. I've been burdened my heart that I did not want to preach to a situation. I want to, I don't want to be one of those guys that preach to a situation in our church. I just want to preach the text. But sometimes, the text comes at the same time. And I just have to say, that's of God. That's one of the reasons I go verse by verse. So that you can't tell me, oh, you just picked that text for me. Alright, no. No. I don't know what everything's going on here. Don't, don't, don't add that to me. I'm not that capable. God does things like this, but I'm trying very carefully to do this, but Paul is teaching to the situation, and I think and I believe and some of these things are the same as ours. Divisions. Dissensions will bring about divisions. 1 Corinthians 11.19, Paul says it in the church of Corinth, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Says that, uh, that Factions is based on the word to choose. There are some folks who are just choosing sides. 
It's interesting, it's the same word where we get heresy from, who have chosen to leave the faith, leave to go to another doctrine other than what's been received from the gospel. And so they're choosing sides. The divisive tendency is the result of selfish pride, envy, bickering. It is not the road of love, it's not the road of forgiveness, it's not the road of generosity, of kindness toward one another. Verse 21, envy. This is a plural form, whereas jealousy was singular, envy is plural. It suggests there's many and various kinds of envious desires. Interesting. This word envy is found most of the times negative. But there's one time it's found positive. In James chapter 4, verse 5, and it actually is describing the Spirit of God who's lusting to envy. <laughs> the words we don't normally think, oh, that's a good thing. What Holy Spirit is doing is, is desiring all of you. Desiring all of you. And I read James 4, and I've just never brought these two passages together. Let me do that for you this morning. James 4, verse 1 through 6. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? <laughs> Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In other words, there's a battle raging within you between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of your own flesh. There, there are a battle going on in you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. So you sin. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. In other words, they're trying to use God to satisfy their flesh and they wonder why God's not answering their prayer, why they're having to resort to coveting, even murder, to war and conflict. If you don't provide it for me, I'm going to take it from you. Because they don't have their heart's desire, their delight out of their relationship with God. He says, you're adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world, and here he's telling us, linking up, walking in the flesh, walking by your selfish desire, is friendship with this world. And friendship with this world is hatred with God, is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns, here it is, yearns jealousy over the Spirit that he's made to dwell in us? In other words, the Spirit of God longs to overpower you, longs to overwhelm you, longs to be your sole satisfaction in your life, your relationship with God, that you'll believe and trust in these things, and that will float your heart, that will still your, your, your heart, and that you will fall in love with him. He yearns for that. <laughs> Verse 6. You walk with this world, you're friends of this world, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I'm to say, living for myself is going to create all kinds of stench. And I see that now from the Word of God. It reveals it to me. God, forgive me. I've been prideful in my life. Let me humble myself. And so when you humble yourself, you crucify your flesh to the cross, and God gives more grace. You know, some of the reasons why you keep falling over the same sin in your life is because you keep living for yourself. You keep living for yourself. 
You hate the fact that you're and you're ashamed of the fact that you sin and it bugs you and irritates you, but you still like the jaw, the jollies and the delights of being tempted, so you don't really hate the sin. You just hate that the fact that you keep failing. Until you get to the point where you realize that all that's going to come from me is failure after failure after failure to say that I I need God. You see, the greatest part of the sin is not the fact that you keep failing, but you're so prideful in it. God will allow you to keep sinning if it takes you to the point of humility. Because it's in humility before God that you get the grace of God that there is any hope. Going back to our list. King James has the word murders here. I think it could very well be that those who were um, working and copying was thinking of Romans 129 where it's listed murders coming after this and and it certainly fits with this idea. Drunkenness. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's no need anymore to be drunk. When you find the joy of the Lord in your walk with the Lord, you find the joy of the Lord in the grace of God that's given to you, that there is a love that's found that you've not yet known and experienced before. Why get drunk? Why drown away the sorrows when your sorrows have been redeemed and been cleansed and been forgiven? Why uh, do this? Why get lost to yourself when you're alive to the Spirit of God? Orgies. This word occurs three other times, or two other times in the New Testament. Romans 13, verse 13, 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 3. Both times it's linked with the word drunkenness. What's the problem with getting drunk? Well, you'll do things you never thought you'd do. When David was trying to loosen the convictions of one of his soldiers, what do you do? Why don't you get drunk tonight? David knew what it would do. It takes you to a place where you're not in control. And you lose yourself in your pleasure. Getting drunk. Why do you want to get drunk? Because, well, I like it. It tastes good. It makes me feel good. What's the common denominator? I, I, I. And when you lose the moral strength, the alcohol brings to you, the eye still dominates and takes you to places where you're pleasing yourself and you wake up wondering, what on earth happened? The orgies. Contribute, drunkenness contributes to marital infidelity. It contributes to child and spouse abuse, to erosion of family life, to moral chaos, and things like these. In other words, Paul says, I could go on. There's a lot more like these. This is not exhaustive. And some of you are thinking, whoo, didn't hit me. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't one of those. Um, and I'm just going to say, yeah, okay, it's hitting you. You just have to take the time or the desires to consider it. Now, stop and take another breath. Because verse 21 continues. I warn you. 
As I warned you before, and very well he's talking about time when he first presented the gospel. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, I thought maybe God, you would just correct me. You would just give me instruction here. You know, maybe a slap on the hand. But then I read this passage and it tells me that God thinks worse of our sin than I thought worse of that remnant of whatever the cat put on my deck. I want it out. I want it gone. And God is saying, don't be deceived that if you think this is in your life, that I'm going to just hold my nose. Now let me bring some thoughts to you here. Those who do such things, it's a present participle. In other words, those who make a practice, who are doing these things, who, who make a practice of doing these things. The, what Paul is saying here is not that he is threatening exclusion to the kingdom from all who have sinned. Because the fact of the matter is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not what he's talking about to those all who have sinned. But what he is saying to all who are unrepented in their sin, all who continue in their sin and do not come to me to repent, he says like he did in Luke 13.3, unless you all repent, you will all likewise perish. There is repentance that is a part of this, but this repentance is born out of God's grace when I realize in my sin that if I continue in this sin, if I continue to have these fits of rage and I'm characterized by this, if I continue to, to look at pornography, I continue in this sexual immorality, if I continue in this direction, uh, and I that's me, God is not a part of whom I am. And He is letting you know. Don't be deceived in thinking that you're right with God, that you're walking with God, and that you're a part of God's kingdom at the same time. You're characterized by this. You're characterized by drunkenness. You're characterized by using drugs. You're characterized by strife. You're characterized by making dissension and being part of dissension. You're characterized by that. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's point is that they which do such things show themselves to be without the transforming gift of faith, the transforming gift of God's grace. They show the reality of the faith that justifies the reality of the new life of Christ that is within when you make a break from these works of darkness. And I, I'm afraid that there's too many of us who do not take seriously verse 21. And we think, well, once saved, always saved, right? You know, I, I walked down the altar. I prayed the prayer. I was baptized. I did all the initial things, right? I'm good. I go to church. I read the Bible. I'm a part of a Sunday school class. You know, I like reading the Bible. I've got some stuff memorized. I'm part of the choir. I've, I've helped out with Spring Fling. I did vacation Bible school. I'm good, right? I'm here every Sunday. I'm good, right? But all the while, there is within your heart a dark part that you're saying, No, God, you cannot change. I will not let you change. I want it this way. I'm telling you that you are not a part of the kingdom of God. No, I'm not telling you that. Paul is telling you that. No, Paul's not. Jesus is telling you that. You're not a part of the kingdom of God. There is when the, the grace of God that comes to your life, the Spirit of God. As I said before, the motivation is, God, how can I grieve you? How can I grieve you? That grace done in your heart, done in your life, 
It cannot continue. It can cannot continue with such stench of flows from your own heart. Let me contrast this. Look at verse 21. I warn you, as I warn before you, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but imagine Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is such a stark contrast between these two. And I say, I want to be in Christ because if I'm Christ, then all of my sin, all these things I've seen in my heart, God's judged. He's judged. When Jesus came, He came to judge the world and He was judged on the cross. I want that. I want to be in Christ where my sin is already judged. But understand that to be in Christ means the Spirit of God is in my life. I trust and believe and I hope in the fact of God saving me. He's forgiven me. He's not my judge anymore. He's my Father. And I thrive on that joy. But there's the Spirit of God that enters into my life. And to be in Christ is to be in the Spirit of God and is to walk by the Spirit in Christ's position. But it's also something lived out in the everyday of your life. And that's why churches can stay together in what? In Christ. In Christ. I'm going to tell you that unless the body of this church is in Christ. It will splinter. It will fracture. It will diminish unless the body is in Christ. I don't present to you the best way of living. I present to you the only way of living. My heart has been so burdened with this passage. It's a part of me that says, well, let me go on to verse 22 and tell all the good stuff, you know? I'm going to tell you the only good thing we've got is Christ. It's the only thing we've got. Don't dare boast in anything else but Christ. And when God convicts your heart of sin, if you are in conviction right now, then thank God for conviction because it's telling you that you can have more grace And there is hope for you. Come, walk with Him. Condemnation is Satan working, just telling you there's no hope. There's no hope, and it's all about your past. That's the difference there. Don't walk condemned. I'm telling you, walk convicted that takes you to the grace of God that brings you hope. Brings you hope. The very fact that you're listening to this message right now and you may be plagued by this and you may be characterized by this and it may be dawning on you that I don't belong to the kingdom of God, I'm going to tell you that this message to you this day, this morning, is God's grace. God speaking to your heart telling you, come and come follow Him. There is hope for you this morning. That's what this word is for. And so let me ask you, will you come and be in Christ? Let's pray.